from Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 1.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review starting a little bit late this morning due to some technical issues. I do apologize for that. Welcome to the show. And let's get straight into it. Uh, we had now a few weeks ago the fires in, in Cape Town, particularly around UCT and the devastation around the Jagger Library and what has happened there to the very, very famous works and archives. And so we thought we would pop in and see what has been going on since the fire and connect with the with the people there and find out what is going on. The person going to help us to do that, Michal Singer, she is a librarian at UCT. Michal, thank you so much for joining us on the New Blue Review. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate your time. Just to begin with... Were you a librarian at the Jagger Library itself or, or just sort of the more general UCT complex? So I'll give you um, exactly. I'm the principal archivist for special collections departments, which uh, which basically is housed in the Jagger Library. So the Jagger Library um, was the original library of UCT, and it basically held, holds the African Studies collections, which included all the movies, books, periodicals, journals, and then also all the unpublished materials, so the archives. And basically my job is um, basically manage a team of archivists in relation to all of those manuscripts, as well as audiovisual materials. So it really was quite an enormous um, enormous cultural disaster to, to see that go up in flames. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I can imagine it must have been absolutely traumatic. How did you first find out that the fire was spreading to the library? <laughs> well, it was Sunday afternoon in Cape Town and I was, uh, you know, finishing off some wonderful laundry because in Cape Town, when the sun comes out, that's what you do. And I just started getting lots of WhatsApps and messages. I mean, I'm in Seapoint, so I didn't immediately smell anything. The smoke was uh, blowing towards the southern suburbs, but very quickly it, it started settling into Seapoint and you could actually smell it in the air. If you've seen pictures of the suburbs around UCT, it was absolutely, absolutely filled with smoke. So it very quickly became uh, quite shocking to all of us because we were listening, we were, you know, our whole team was on WhatsApp and our directorate was able to go to the site. But, you know, first we heard that one building was on fire, then we heard another building was on fire. And then, of course, we heard that the library was on fire and we started seeing photographs. So for the first day after the fire on the Monday, the 19th of April, I think the whole library, if not the whole of UCT, the whole of Cape Town and perhaps the international academic community was just an absolute shock. It really was. Of all the buildings. Uh, I'm sure it was absolutely traumatic to, to see eventually your, the work of your life going up in flames. Literally, it, it must have been absolutely yeah. devastating. Do they know anything more about uh, the, 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 the sort of what caused the fire? My, my very rudimentary knowledge of UCT says that the, that the Jagger Library was actually not so close to the fires. There were many, many buildings, and yet that was the one that caught a light. Do, do they have any more perspective on why that might have occurred? 
Sure, I can tell you what I know for a fact, which is that, you know, there, there were wildfires on Table Mountain. And the way that wildfires go is that they, they, they can spread very easily. Um, sadly, very tragically, this fire in the Jagger Library was the result of a wildfire spreading and by fate <laughs> landing on the roof of the Jagger Library. So the roof actually burnt up and eventually the weight of the roof burning collapsed into the actual library and the whole place was an inferno. I believe from colleagues that um, who were on site and specifically the facilities managers and the directorate that there were fire trucks surrounding the buildings as well as helicopters, um, you know, dropping water on top. And as the water was, you know, uh, uh, you know, as the water was hitting the inferno, it was just evaporating for hours. So it really was an inferno and there was just simply so much to burn. <laughs> so um, sure. what I do know is that it wasn't the only place as well. There were several buildings. If you drive around the lower campus and upper campus, you see quite a number of the residences as well as simply areas on the campus that were just burnt. In fact, I can tell you that almost a week after the fire, Ben, we were on campus and a student reported that they saw a fire starting. And in fact, in some instances on the fire side next to the mountain, the actual roots of the trees were still smoldering. So the scale of the fire as a, as an ecological, you know, <laughs> its impact is, is pretty huge. And, and I think shouldn't be underestimated. It wasn't a localized fire at the Jagger Library. No, absolutely. It were, any of, simply seeing those pictures, uh, told a, a massive story yeah. about what was going on. So let's talk about then the, the response, uh, you as yeah. an archivist, uh, once the, the flames have died down in the library itself, what is it that you have to do in a situation like that? Uh, once, once it's safe to sort of go back in. Okay. So, um, we have an, a disaster management plan. That's sort of a part and parcel of our policies. Uh, the implementation of that plan is another thing. So we did call on, when I say we, I mean my, uh, my, my colleagues in the library. So I want to just acknowledge, you know, the directorate who, who really has ultimately led this and, uh, my line manager, Nikki Crowster, who's the director for the division within which special collection falls. That's, you know, really the department that was affected as well as Ujala Satgur, who's our executive director. So really immediately there was an, there was an, an enormous amount of action, uh, to actually go into the building. I was, um, it was, it was very surreal. I was asked to come in on the Tuesday morning to assist the managers and as well as the site engineers to locate areas, you know, that hadn't, um, succumbed. So just if anybody understands how the Jagger Library is structured, the ground level, the reading room level is not the ground level. So there are in fact two basements which go underground and that holds the vast collections of the archives. So what we knew was that the entire African studies library held in the reading room itself was, was burnt. And very sadly, the African studies film collection, which was held in the second floor was completely destroyed. Um, one of the first things that me and my counterpart, Mandy Noble did, she's the principal librarian, in fact, who deals with the actual published collections and we work in tandem. The two of us had to sit on the actual Monday afternoon, the day after the fire, and really outline for the university administration what had been lost. Now, that's not the easiest report I've ever had to write because we had to presume that all was lost. So when I eventually did go in, 
Yeah. When I went in the following day um, to see that the actual basements were intact, water damaged but intact, was already a ray of hope for me. Um, there were also areas um, of the African Studies collection that did survive, not much, not in relation to what was lost, but I guess we reached a point where we started just looking at everything that we had, you know, everything that we had, and then we had to consider not a question of what was lost, but a question of what can we salvage. And from the very, from that very moment, we started pumping water out the basements. Um, it took a couple of days actually, because the bottom basement was flooded up to waste level. And, um, you know, as soon as we could, we implemented a disaster management team with, um, uh, plan which basically involved the deployment of up to 120 people at a time to form a human chain and actually bring the books out, bring the boxes out, bring the materials out little by little, locate them in various places around the campus. And I want to speak a little bit about that as well. And, um, yeah, basically we've been going and we're still going. It's been five weeks. This is now the sixth week. And um, we implemented a lot of um, different measures. One of those incredible measures was the cohort of professional conservators who've come in to help us. Um, and, you know, both from other institutions as well as from overseas. People have come to assist us to really um, salvage as much as we can. So there's a lot part of, of that was a huge effort on the part of volunteers that yeah. came to help people from the UCT community, from the Cape Town community, from a variety yeah. of communities. What was that like working with people who I'm assuming were not professional archivists or conservators sure. Sure. who are suddenly now coming in and being part of the process? Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say it was really extraordinary. It was one of the things that I think on a personal level got me through was really, you know, librarians and archivists. What we do is we help people. That's really the the service. You know, we really are in service. We're in service to the university and at special collections because we, you know, we service the general community and that includes the Jewish community. It was really, really touching to see how that kindness shown to us, and I've said this before, that kindness shown to us was, you know, was shown back at us. You know, that, that the kindness we've shown was demonstrated back to us um, in so many different ways. You know, there was, there were the, 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 um, the involvement of various partners within UCT. So, for example, I must mention the Kaplan Center and Adam Mendelssohn, the director, because, you know, on the Wednesday, I mean, I'm really saying this, it was all very much day by day, but now we had a situation where we had to take, start taking materials out. Where were we going to take them and what were we going to put them in? So this was reported in the Jewish report, but it does bear repeating that, you know, without 12 and a half thousand crates to be able to take the materials out of the basements, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And so the role of pick and pay, the role of the Ackerman Foundation, the role of various other role players in actually mobilizing the country's um, supply of, of crates to come to UCT within a couple of days was, was really extraordinary. Um, I was really, really, um, really, really, really chuffed about that. And I mean, we've now, if, any, if anyone visits the Kaplan Center, you'll see some beautiful rare books on the shelves. We're still dehumidifying architectural drawings in there. We've also um, taken <laughs> temporary occupation of the Center for African Studies Gallery, where we're storing manuscripts, materials, um, various other venues on campus, the Library Learning Lounge, the Immelman 24-7. These are cavernous venues that are just absolutely 
full with material that are drying, that are being stored, waiting to go to our new premises. So, you know, really the, the notion of volunteering here comes into play so hugely because, it, you know, everybody led by example. I feel like the leaders of the community led and everybody followed. Um, when I say, I think there were over 2,000 volunteers over a three and a half week period. And that is no mean feat. We were on the ground 24 seven. We were there from morning to night, including weekends. I was really delighted to see some familiar faces, even family members. Um, you know, really it was just, it was just extraordinary, Ben. You know, it, it really brought back the spirit that I've always had of, of in a way, almost hadracha, if I may say, that sense of leading by example. And the fact that we were all there on the ground meant that people could follow us. And in relation to your question about, you know, amateur archivists and conservators, I think that that again goes into the leadership of the library's team and the conservators who came on board to assist us by just giving of their knowledge, really. Some of the processes in conservation are not that complicated if you're doing them, you know, in a in a simple way. If you're showing somebody how to wrap a book, how to spray it with alcohol so you kill the mold, these are things that can almost be done in a in a factory line so that they can actually be done more quickly. Um, where people started, I suppose, doing their own thing, it became a bit challenging, but isn't that the case always? So, you know, Absolutely. Ben, I could go on. <laughs> it was wonderful. Tell, tell me about what we have been able to say. So obviously there has been able, yeah. there has been a lot of loss, but have, has a large amount of the archive been saved through the, your efforts and the efforts of the volunteers? Sure. It's very difficult for me to comment on the status of the collections because like I said, material had been removed to various spaces and we're only moving into our new premises on the 1st of June. So as it stands, we have been triaging material. So we're dealing with everything not at a collection level, but at a repository level. What that means is when materials were originally removed from the shelves, we implemented what is known as an emergency numbering system so that we weren't having to worry about um, being able to then, you know, put the collections back together. So what that means is every row of compactus was numbered, every bay was numbered, every shelf was numbered, and all the material was therefore numbered according to that uh, system. That means that if you're going through 100 crates and you find one book in one crate that is moldy and that needs to be removed to be um, treated, you can put that numbering onto that crate. I know that maybe is losing half the audience at the moment talking about numbering, but the um, the one thing I can say is that you've got a team of information scientists dealing with the reordering of the of the collections, and what we're hoping is um, that the collections that were water damaged uh, with treatment with time, we can um, basically reconstitute them as a whole. I think expediting digitization becomes a priority for us because of handling of material that's been salvaged from conservation. Um, you know, it, it becomes a lot more fragile. So to answer your question, where material was in the reading room, where it was at the level of the fire, we know it was lost. But also remember that the reading room is an active workplace and that there were 16 staff members with materials on their desk. So we're having to sit down as a team and confirm, you know, who was working on what when, 
Um, it's an ongoing process, but one of the things that has been um, very important is the sensitive handling of this because the manuscripts and archives repository, the audiovisual repository and the photography repositories are all donated materials by individuals, um, career professionals, especially photographies and photography and filmmaking, as well as personal family collections. Now, if you found out that your grandfather's uh, entire life in work in paper was destroyed, if you found that out on the news, it's, you know, arguably incredibly insensitive. And that's really the tack that I'm taking and that our team is taking is that the first to find out about losses in relation to manuscripts and archives will be the depositors and the donors. Um, you spoke about digitization. uh, uh, And I I saw that there was an initiative of people from around the world being able or or trying to, if they worked on on stuff to to send it through. I'm, I'm assuming that's one way people can help. Are there other ways that people can assist in the process now that, the fires settled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for that. So, um, yes, this was wonderful. We, this wasn't initiated by UCT libraries. It was a wonderful show of support by researchers and researchers can, I don't have those details on hand, but, um, to, to be able to submit materials that they would have, you know, photographed that we wouldn't have on record, that will be very useful. Um, as I said, we're still going to figure out what, you know, what has been digitized already, what we need. So that ultimately will help us make the library and the materials more accessible. Otherwise, that people can help basically is to go to our Jagger Library Recovery website that's been set up at UC, on the UCT Libraries webpage. So that's lib.uct.ac.za forward slash Jagger dash recovery. Um, there are various ways in which people can support. You can make a financial donation and you can also send a message of support. We're ultimately going to be creating a website showcasing all of this. And there are other ways of support. Other people, uh, many, many people have offered uh, books, materials and so forth. We're not in a position to take those materials yet, but we are logging all requests. Michal Singer talking to us from UCT. She is an archivist working on the reclamation, conservation, and recovery of the Jagger Library. Michal, thank you so much for briefing us on what has been going on. It looks like the start of a long journey. So good luck and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you very, very much for the support.